There is nothing which can better deserve your patronage than the promotion of science and literature. Knowledge is in every country the surest basis of public happiness. In one in which the measures of government receive their impression so immediately from the sense of the community as in ours, it is proportionably essential. The words of President George Washington. And this is <laughs> The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at where our republic stands now after the impeachment trial, then we'll wrap with our hot takes and our guardians of the week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Uh, Patrick, uh, <laughs> we threw a little curveball at the, at yes. the front, and uh, uh, this was my idea. Uh, I had to do it. It's our 50th episode. And um, and do you want to say why? What, what the thinking was? Well, I mean, I had suggested this quote uh, a few weeks ago as uh, mm -hmm. one that we want to use. And it became even more relevant with particularly Mitt Romney's explanation about his uh, vote on the impeachment. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but I know we were going back and forth on this. And you were saying, well, what does this really mean? Yeah. And, and, so, and, I, and, and so I said, hey, why don't you do it? Because I, I wanted to do. The Ryan Seacrest of it all, which is your the guardians of the I really wanted to do that. And I figured, hey, let's switch it up. Why don't you explain what what the quote means today? So uh, this is from uh, George Washington's first State of the Union address. And we're going to have a State of the Union address coming up uh, next week, the first of Joe Biden. But this is the very first presidential State of the Union address. And in it, he was basically saying that in the end, you know, every country needs to rely on science. Really needs to rely on knowledge, really needs to rely on the facts. And he was saying that it's even more important in a democratic republic, in a mm -hmm. country that relies on public trust, that that public trust be based on science and facts. Which is so much the public trust. You know, the show is called Guardians of the Republic, and it's a fun name. You know, it's a little play on Guardians of the Galaxy, but we're guarding the Republic. Uh, there, there was a period of time where when we were first starting out with the show where we considered doing the public trust. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, we discussed we that? About a, bunch of, a bunch of different names. Yes. And the public trust was one of them. That was the, yeah. the, kind of the underlying thing. But but of course, I mean, we've become so, you know, our name has become so popular that even Nancy Pelosi is now using that. <laughs> That's right. The Republic, right. All right. So what are your thoughts now? Let's. So thank you for that. And I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, clearly. Um, Patrick, what are your thoughts on the impeachment trial going back to uh, you know, we are the, the, I think the, the verdict came in on Saturday and right. so it, to do a show last Friday, it was just in motion, but what are you, what are your thoughts now on the trial now that we're almost a week away from the verdict? Well, for a few moments on, uh, or a couple hours on Saturday morning, it looked like the trial wasn't going to end for mm -hmm. a few more weeks. If, uh, you recall that, uh, um, uh, Congressman Raskin had call, asked for a witness to be called, and that was um, – now I can't remember her name, the Republican congresswoman who basically said that uh, uh, the minority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, had called Donald Trump and asked him to do something about the riot that was happening on the 6th. And, and the president said, well, uh, clearly these people are more bothered by what happened during the election than you, which is damning fully damning uh, yes. on the yes. for, for the president. Yes. And she had made the statement prior that there had been this call from McCarthy, but it was on Friday night, the night before uh, the, the Senate voted that she really put out a full statement. said this is exactly what was said. And I'd like to have other people who were on the, on that call on either side, come forward because she knew that they would confirm exactly what, you know, what let's happened. just start there though. Patrick, let's start with the witnesses. Let's just talk about that first. The fact that, that, Raskin asked for the witnesses, then the Democrats, Chris Coons, who I'm a big fan of, uh, sort of came through and it seemingly as a, you know, consigliere of the president. He's the closest senator to the president, same state. And he kind of made it so that the witnesses didn't happen. There was some call on the really far left, like, this is ridiculous. I have a friend who was so mad. And I went, no, nah, I'm not so mad. I don't think it, I don't think it would change anything. I think it would really hurt Biden's agenda. It would tie things up a lot longer. Are you on the same page with me as that? Uh, I am now, but I wasn't as it was happening. Because, really? Yeah, because as it was happening, the, the point was you're never going to get 
17 Republicans to vote to convict, regardless of what information, new evidence right. that you brought up. And, no, you weren't. That's right. Uh, and, and why they brought new video up during this trial, they didn't really add anything that I think surprised anybody who had been following the story, right? There wasn't anything that happened there that was different than what we expected. It was just maybe more graphic in the video that was captured. So they didn't produce something like, um, like that, like the text of that call with uh, the president and McCarthy, uh, that that was different. That that was new. And what I thought at that point, when they were going to say we're going to introduce witnesses, is that they were going to do it. It's that would provide the opportunity for us to learn things that we weren't we wouldn't learn otherwise. Not that it would change the seventeen votes, but that it would have a bigger impact on the knowledge that any Republican who voted not to convict Donald Trump at that point was doing so in the face of some really damning evidence. And that I mean, would help, the that evidence. Would help set, has set a tone in the public. But having said, and, 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 and in fact, you know, when we go back and they, they were able to introduce her testimony as written, uh, her statement as written as testimony in lieu of her calling her as a witness, um, and Raskin basically said, well, we got that in there. And so it's on public record. Public, the fact that it's on a record, a historical record doesn't, doesn't matter. The, the question is, has it moved the ball in terms of protecting the public? And it hasn't. But I think there are other venues now that we can pursue where we can get that information. Yeah. I, I just thought, as I said, that witnesses at that time, my initial instinct, you know, we were fighting so hard for witnesses during the, um, during the Ukraine impeachment, as opposed to the January 6th impeachment, right? So we have the different, the different impeachments. Um, and that, 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 on this one, I just thought, let's just like, those videos were so damning. The whole thing was so, and, and to stand up and vote not guilty at that point was, it, it was as absurd as it, as I can imagine it being. And I frankly, for one, I turned to my better half and I said, all right, well, the Trump administration is finally done. You know, I mean, there's no more to discuss. Let's stop talking about him as, you know, as a, as a major issue. We have too many other issues that are going on right now. You look at what's happening in Texas. You look at what's happening with COVID. You know, it's like, I, I don't want to talk about the former president anymore. I just don't want to. And it's not going to change anything. And that will be the, the headline in the news. And it will just keep everyone's nervous system on edge. And it's not going to change anything. There's yes. nothing that's going to change. Right. So I, I, that was my quick immediate reaction and it, it remains my reaction now 57 to 43 i mean 57 to 43 that's a pretty big win even though it's a loss you know it's like you won you won but you didn't cover the spread <laughs> using a, right. a betting term but yeah. you know they, we're going to talk about the seven republicans who who voted to convict and you've never seen people with more righteous indignation than a republican who's not afraid to to vote their conscience you know they mm -hmm. they they did it, and and it it changes things. It is outrageous to me that the forty three other senators decided that they couldn't do it or they wouldn't do it, um, but they have their political reasoning behind that. So I don't know. Those are, those are my general thoughts about yeah. the impeachment. I'm glad it's over. I'm not surprised. I think the former president is deeply wounded. That's my opinion, um, and that his chances of coming back in 2024 and running for president again are unlikely. After after the, after January 6th and then after the impeachment trial. So I think in a way it's also kind of served to really split the Republican Party in half. I mean, the, the fear about the Democrats with the with the far left of the party and the center left of the party and that that split is it is a serious split and they're holding it together for right now. But the Republicans, I don't see how they move forward without starting a third party. Of the sasses and the the Romneys, yeah. I I just don't see it. Well, let, let's talk about that for a second. I want to come back to to the trial itself and and I think the door that's been opened to deal with some of these underlying problems that we have as the republic. Uh, but uh, here's the question, and this was the the, the whole the, the whole Mitch McConnell thing that that we need to talk about, yes. which is. You know, it's not just 2024, but what happens in 2022. What, what's the direction yes. of, of the Republican Party? Who controls the Republican Party? Donald Trump. Yeah, right. He is the face. It's not the Republican Party. I, I, was, I was given an interview somewhere. I said, well, yeah, America has a two-party system. It's the Democratic Party and the Trump Party. Yeah. And 
and this, you know, we had said before, I think I said on, on this show is, is if Mitch McConnell could have gotten the 17 votes, he would have voted to convict. For sure. For sure. Because it was his political decision on his part that while he stood up after the vote and said <laughs> Donald Trump did everything wrong and he's horrible because he knows that if Donald Trump is still a factor in 2022, then what we're going to look at is a number of incumbents being primaried from the Trump. I can't even say from the right because it's not from the right. It's not a political ideology spectrum. How about just from the Q? Yeah, from the Q. There you go. Not from the right, from the Q. You're exactly right. So from the Q wing and those Q wing folks win, then suddenly you're you're losing seats in Pennsylvania and, and North Carolina uh, in the Senate. And that's that's all that McConnell cares about is becoming majority leader again. So that's what he's worried about. And I think that's that is still a very real possibility. As I look right now, while I agree with you that I don't think at this point that Donald Trump could make a comeback in, in 2024 based on where we stand right now and understanding that things can change and we could take that all back. But I'm looking just ahead to 2022. I think McConnell should be worried about the, about the, the challenges from the right making, uh, bringing up candidates who are basically unelectable in some of these purplish states. Also, also in house seats all around the country that we're going to see these same primary thing. And let me be clear. I am not saying that Donald Trump cannot be the Republican nominee in 2024. I certainly think that's possible for sure. What I'm saying is I don't think he can win. I think that January 6th puts, puts that was shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. And yeah, he got away with it, but he doesn't get to run the country again. He does not have, you know, Nikki Haley. I mean, gosh, poor Nikki and not poor Nikki Haley. Get, no, not poor Nikki Haley. No, she, I'm sorry. She goes back and forth. Every, Come you know, on, she's trying like to get a meeting with Trump now. Like, yeah. if you're if you're going to take out the king, and he she tried to take out the the king of the Q party. If you're going to try to take out the king of the Qs, you better take him out. And you can't like follow up a week later and say, "Is there a way we can have a meeting?" No, it doesn't work like that. I I actually think Laura Trump in North Carolina has a decent chance, actually, of. Of finding a way to win that state. It was interesting that Ivanka uh, came out and endorsed Marco Rubio, which was too bad. I would have had fun watching that. That would have been that would have been an enjoyable thing. But watching Mitch McConnell come out and give another one of his big speeches, you know, he comes out to the Senate floor. It's the second time in in the last five weeks or so that he came out and gave a Save the Republic speech. The problem was he can't say. Well, we can't convict him because he wasn't the president anymore. You can't say that if you delayed the trial so that it would ha start while he was not the president. You can't get away with that. And it's all about the donors. It's all about the the business people, the rich business people who say, say who say, I want no regulation. I want to be able to do whatever I want with my company. But I can't like if, if civilization breaks apart and then my money means nothing. So right. we got to stop this guy. So he comes out and he and he does this whole shebang. I'd be curious to see if Mitch McConnell doesn't get, you know, someone doesn't come for his job to be the minority leader. So that even in 2022, if the Senate comes back into Republican hands, would Mitch McConnell be the Senate leader? I, I just don't I, I don't see how that all how that all works. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have a pretty strong grip. Uh, grasp on that but if you know yeah i don't see him uh, coming back as majority leader if he if he if the republicans lose seats they will uh in the senate then the seats that they have remaining will be even more skewed towards the q wing of the party mm -hmm. and i think that does make it more likely that mcconnell gets ousted who would, who would be in that spot? Because it wouldn't be Thune. It wouldn't be Cornyn. So that's the leadership in the, in the Senate on the Republican side. Who becomes the new face of the Republicans in the Senate if it's not the McConnell wing? I mean, is it Lindsey Graham? Is it Lindsey yeah, Graham? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know who, who, who they would settle on for Lindsey that. That's Graham. just hilarious. What a, can, can we just talk about Lindsey Graham for one moment? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be too negative. I'm not going to be too mean, Mom. But, you know, Lindsey Graham... He came out on January 6th and he said, it's all over. I'm done with this. I, that's the, uh, you know, and then after the impeachment comes out and says, Donald Trump is the heart and soul of this party and we need Trump plus to make it through. And it's like, man, do you have nothing? 
is there nothing inside anymore? Or was there never anything inside to begin with? Or is he being blackmailed? I mean, these are these are the different Lindsey Graham questions as far as I'm concerned. Do you have any you have any thoughts on that, Patrick? What I mean, what I really I mean, I, I, do, I don't want to, you know, sometimes, you know, everybody who gets in who runs for a political office like that at that level has some type of exalted sense of self. There's a, there's a level of narcissism there and it's an, and it's necessary. You don't run for that stuff unless you have a level of narcissism. I mean, you need a level of narcissism in order to to do that. But that means that, you know, sometimes your psychological problems tend to be more on display <laughs> for some folks than others. Yeah. I think that's what we're seeing with Lindsey Graham. I think I always think of Lindsey Graham in the back of that car being interviewed about Joe Biden. And he says it was in those commercials during the right. during the campaign. Like, if you don't like Joe Biden, something's wrong with you. And then him saying that, you know, Kamala Harris walking onto the Senate floor and fist bumping with Lindsey Graham and then her him saying that she should be impeached. I mean, it's like, how, how do you I, I know yeah. this this this, you know, sister brotherhood in the Senate. But how, how do you look at somebody like that after that? Yes. Yeah, how so, do you look somebody in the eye? I just, I mean, I look at, at Lindsey Graham and, uh, as a damaged person. I mean, just like when you see somebody, you know, you just see somebody, you encounter them and then you walk away and you say, oh, um, and it's not that I feel sympathy for him because he's in a position to create damage <laughs> to the country. Um, but I, I don't look for a rational explanation for why he's okay. doing what he's doing is like, I, I guess do. it's my, my explanation. No, I mean, I do. That's my job as an actor. That was always my job to, um, to try to understand the psychology of someone and how they got to make the choices that they make. Uh, it's, he's, he's an interesting, he's an interesting character. Now I'm going to bring up somebody that, um, I honored last week with the opening of the show. Uh, you have some yes, thoughts did. about, I did, I did, I did. And I asked you not, can we not, bring this up and you went no we're bringing this up so okay here we go uh senator uh from nebraska ben sass was in the news this week uh he get he's gonna get a nice little honor from us later but you have you you got a beef with ben what's your beef yeah with ben? i got i mean I, I have a little little caveat on ben sass there he was he was being very ben sassy now he's one of the seven republicans who voted uh to uh convict on the impeachment charge but his his statement about it just again, like many of them, uh, descended into this both siderism. So, for example, one of one part of his statement was, "Here's the sad reality." If and now I'm quoting from him, "Here's the sad reality." If we were talking about a Democratic president, most Republicans and most Democrats uh, Democrats would simply swap sides. Tribalism is a hell of a drug. You know that's wrong, actually. It's not true. And it's not true. It's not no. because that's we know that. And I know that from uh, the, the work that I've done trying to study the psychology of Democrats and Republicans. That's why what we have seen happen in the Republican Party wouldn't happen in the Democratic Party, because just through a combination of the kinds of policies they pursue and then the type of person those policies attract or that that, that ideology attracts. Is that there isn't a critical mass in among Democrats as there is among Republicans of folks who would throw out uh, democratic norms. It just right. it would not happen. And we can even look at what's happening in New York right now. I, I don't know if people are keeping up with the news, right. but uh, Andrew Cuomo, our governor here in New York, is in real trouble. And the not I mean, literally, the knives are out and the knives are nasty and very long. Um, because of this nursing home issue, where, which would, there were whispers about this back when COVID yeah, started, that, that there were there were number that, that they were skewing the numbers, and um, so uh, basically that New York yeah. State was underreporting the number of deaths from COVID the from nursing home residents. So the president of the 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 Republican head of the state legislature obviously comes out and just calls him out right full on. This is a corrupt man, blah, 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 blah. The Democrats from the state legislature came out and said the exact same thing. This yeah. is Michael Blake, um, uh, Representative Kim. 
These these are Democratic representatives, and they are not giving him an even small bit of pass. They're calling him out saying, remember the nursing homes. Then you have uh, de Blasio, the mayor, who is just like – those two hate each other so much. I mean, my God, Cuomo and de Blasio. And de Blasio's like, we need to get to the bottom of this. The, the governor is responsible. You know, that that's how Democrats handle their inside business, it seems, largely. And I don't want to overstate that because there are situations oh, yeah. like Menendez – with Senator Menendez and the challenges that he was going through with his ethics committee with the Democrats like crowded around him and protected him, but right. not, not, not in situations like this. And Cuomo right. is, Cuomo's going to be in trouble. I mean, yeah, this not, is, I mean, you know, good. I, and what was fa- fascinating to me was as soon as the news broke, you had all these right wing commentators on social media saying, uh, yeah, as soon as it happens to a Democrat, Democrats don't say anything. And it was because nothing had been said at that point. And as you pointed out, Democrats started st- stepping up and saying something, proving them wrong, although they won't believe it because what they'll do is they'll, they'll point to the one or two, you know, they'll point to the minority of Democrats who don't say something without pointing to the fact that significantly more Democrats are willing to call out one of their own for undermining norms. Yeah. Then Republicans are willing to call out theirs. And that's, and that's what was wrong with Sass's statement. It wasn't most Republicans and most Democrats would swap sides. Most Republicans would swap sides and only a few Democrats would swap sides. And that's where it's different. Another thing that, that strikes me, I mean, we're talking about Robin, so I definitely am excited to speak about Batman in a minute. Yes. But with Cuomo, the, the thing I, that strikes me and struck me at the time, was here was a man who was living in the glory of fame and adulation for months. I mean, every single time he gave a press conference in March, April, May, June, I mean, people were flocking to it. Like it was like, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was the Beatles coming to New York, but it had, it had a sniff of that, right? And not, 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 you know, it wasn't that big, but it, but it was noteworthy. Like every time he was on TV, you had, you had, it, it was, and it's one of those things where you get a little too close to the sun and you flap those wings and you fall down to earth and the fall down to earth is hard, which is one of the positives. And we're going to talk about Joe Biden. Later, uh, President Biden, which is yeah. remarkable but to it, say, it, but right. he 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 he's wise when it comes to that. We're going to talk about that in the hot takes. Go yeah, ahead. So just just a quick thing on, on, on Cuomo. So I mean, he has a reputation as as a as a bully, and he always mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. And and I think that affects not only what you do, but what the people around you do. You know that they, they act scared. And I've seen this firsthand because uh, New Jersey has had a very similar situation with a former governor of of ours, the Christie uh, man. Yes, um, where, where our bridge ended up being closed um, as political retaliation. Uh, and you see those things happen. Th- that these are people, Cuomo reminds me a lot of Christie, somebody with a, a hell of a lot of talent, but yes. with this blind spot around their, you know, their own sense of I'm always right and you're always wrong and everything has to be uh, according to the way I do it. And you if know, you're not, then, then we haven't right. talked but, enough about Chris Christie. I, I just want to sidebar us for a minute because you're you are the you know as as much as you are the man in the pollster world, and you are you're a pretty powerful dude in New Jersey politics. Like you you are a center, you are like a fulcrum. You're almost a David Pluff, although you're not a political uh, consultant. You, you you've got your finger on the pulse. Is that what they say? The finger on the pulse. Yeah. You know, tell me real quick, just before we get to Batman. Uh, what do you think of Chris Christie? And and I have to I have to say this. I struggle so much with Chris Christie because there are moments where I really like the guy. And then yep. there are moments like on the election night where after he preps the president for his debates, he was trying to help get the man reelected. And then he comes out and says and, and, and tries to like, oh, I never, you know, this guy, this guy is so over the line. We can't, you know, you don't get, I don't think you get to say that if you were part of the administration in such a fundamental way and trying to extend the the administration, like that strikes me as disingenuous. Mm -hmm. How about that? I'll just go with disingenuous, but you you know him, you know him far better than I do. Yeah. Chris Christie is, and and his folks complain every time I talk about him, um, like, well, you don't, you're not his friend, so you don't, you don't know him well. But I mean, I observe from observation is a man of unbound ambition and, uh, and that's his driving force sure. is that is he wants ambition. he believes he's going to be president yeah and he should be president he believes he should be president that's correct 
Yes. Now, what happened, and he'll do whatever he needs. Cal- he's very calculated, whatever he needs to get there. So that's, you know, being anti-Trump and playing along with Trump and, and these things. Every once in a while, though, something happens that sparks his conscience, that like he's confronted with something that sparks his conscience and he puts aside that ambition temporarily. It happened when Superstorm Sandy hit yep. in, right before the 2012 election and he got blamed for you know, to throwing the election for Mitt Romney because of his uh, an embrace that ne- actually never happened, but but his, but his gratitude to the president, to President, to president Obama, Obama, he certainly right? had that. Yeah, and he did the same thing after he got COVID. Yes, and he was did. in the hospital, and he came out big neocopa, huge. Yeah, he's fast. And, he's a fast. But then he goes guy. back, and then he goes back, and he preps. You know, preps the president for uh, the debate, and then gets COVID, and then suddenly he's. You know, anti, and then he's okay with, you know, it's, the thing is, he has these sparks of where you see uh, a moral compass come through as the driving force, but it doesn't take long before his ambition creeps back up and becomes the driving force again. Yeah, but the problem is he's, he is like the, the, (laughs) the central fulcrum of the Republican Party problem, because where is he going to sleep at night in that party? Because the cues, if he comes out and he says Trump is bad and what he did was wrong, which he says and he said, well, what, how does he get along with the Q party? You know what I mean? The Hollies and the Rubios of the world and the Ted Cruz's, my gosh, Ted Cruz, you yeesh, guy. Um, they, they're, they're trying to straddle the line and hold the Trump team. How's Christie going to, ha- how's Christie yeah. ever going to become the president of the United States? Yeah, this is the problem for, the problem for Chris Christie is because the norms have been destroyed. There's, it's very hard for him to be constrained because you're constrained by the norms. So if you're somebody who has that kind of tendency to be overly ambitious, you might be a little bit of a bully, whatever it happens to be, the norms might constrain you. And a very good case study in this is Franklin Roosevelt, right? So he tried, you know, came into a big situation, tried to do things, tried to push the envelope. It got pushed back on him. Imagine a situation where Franklin Roosevelt came into power and basically everybody said, you can do whatever you want. We're just going to invest you as a king. Would he have been as good a president if he, if that, those constraints hadn't been on him? And this is the problem with Chris Christie because the Republican Party now has no constraints in terms of what's acceptable behavior in the norms of democracy is that he doesn't have something that's, that's holding him back. Uh, there. So he'll bounce to try to appease the Q wing of the party mm-hmm. um, while then he tries to bounce back and be the kind of the normal old fashioned uh, Republican, the cloth coat Republican uh, in, cloth uh, you know, coat Republican. yeah, yeah. Uh, this is all, yeah, this is all back from the 1950s when, <laughs> you know, the, the Democrats were all ritzy and uh, wore fur coats and, and, and Eisenhower would, I think it was Eisenhower or somebody. Uh, remarked that we wear we wear cloth coats, but this kind of old, you know. Just to wrap on Christie, before we yeah. get to Batman, I swear we're going to talk Batman, everybody. Um, Chris Christie, here's what I think. I think that if there was no Donald Trump running in 2016, I think that was Christie's spot. I think yeah. it's re and I, because I think that moment, which is famous on YouTube, and if you've never watched it, where he tells the teacher to sit down, and that I'm the governor, and I I don't care, and you're rude, so I'm going to be rude back. That that sort of uh, harsh talk, it, it didn't, it, it wasn't as harsh because you had a guy saying yeah. they're rapists, they're, you know, they're this, they're coming over. So Christie came off as sort of like, like beer from Miller, as opposed to like a real beer, which is what president, former president Trump was like, he was yeah. the real McCoy in terms of being rude and awful that I think Christie could have squeaked through in 2016. I really yeah, do. Because remember, those were the days before Trump came uh, on. Chris Christie was the one who was pushing the boundaries. Of yes, behavior. and it was still George Washington Bridge that was still going to be. By the way, great George Washington is still George yeah. Washington Bridge, which was going to be a problem for him. But I think him versus Hillary Clinton, I, I think he wins that race. I think he wins that race somewhat easily, frankly. Um, yeah. and, and it was I remember watching those early debates in 2015 and early 2016, and Christie just looked impotent because there was a bigger there was a bigger bully on the stage right who right. who he bowed his head to so i i just don't i don't see the future for chris christie 
necessarily, at, at least at this point. I still think there's a third party coming, folks. I think yeah. there's the Q Party. I think there's the Democratic Party. And then there's the Bill Crystal Party, though Bill Crystal is not calling for that. He's he's going the opposite way and saying, no, let's help Joe Biden be a good president because we need to save our country. I I just don't see how. All right. Now let's talk about. Well, well, yeah, well, this gets us now. This gets us back to Batman. And I think there's a connection between Chris Christie and 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 Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney is being as Batman as you can get. I mean, every day he's more Batman. Uh, So his statement. uh, And I encourage everybody to find it. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it is. It's it's a statement that was on the floor of the Senate. So it's in the Senate, the congressional record. But his statement about his vote was pretty much a cogent analysis of what's going on in the world today and our country today and what we need to do to get out of it as anything I have ever seen. Um, so, you know, he explains his vote and he, and he basically explains, look, you know, you're inciting an insurrection against a, a, an equal branch of, of, of uh, government. That's impeachable. There's no question about it. That's unacceptable. But let's move on. And, and he says things like, okay, it's become a cliche to say America is divided as never before. Um, but he says, and I'm quoting from his statement here, less unanimous are the predictions of where this division will lead. Even so, no one suggests that it will lead to a better future. Uh, or they, you know, so he goes on to say, maybe we'll have a bad economy. Maybe there's even be a civil war. Um, but we instinctively know, and this is his quote, we instinctively know that the growing division represents a growing danger. Academics and pundits may promote cures. But in our heart of hearts, we know that their bromides won't heal the rift. People aren't going to return to mainstream media and get real facts and real information. They, people aren't going to, churches aren't going to experience a resurgence where we get a common sense of values is what his point is. And, and this is really interesting from him, income inequality will remain a persistent feature of the global digital economy. So he's acknowledging that inequality, income inequality, is also a driving factor of this. And then he goes on to say, so what's what's the solution? And he says, throughout history, only one thing has been able to unite a divided nation. Great leaders. And he's right. It's all about leadership. So the question is, who is going to step up to the plate and have, have the juice to be able to get their, get whatever the Republican Party should be back on track president biden <laughs> president biden well no to get the republican party back republican i'm sorry party. i missed that i, I thought you meant yeah. the country i was yeah. going with the country uh yeah. it's a fair question i will commend once again to everybody uh the mitt documentary i believe it's still on netflix mm-hmm. that's where i kind of went oh because i remember back in 2012 you know i wanted barack obama to win so i turned mitt romney into an enemy and, and mitt romney's no enemy mitt romney is a good man um who really cares about his country uh, i just hope he starts flying private i can't afford to do that but i think he can um and i think he should because i think that his i think that there's danger for people and uh batman is to have a tip of the hat to batman yeah. you know there's this, but, this, yeah, this but, yeah, i mean this is the key you, you you mentioned uh so you 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 answered joe biden because you're thinking of the country and and this is Romney's point. He says, you know, national unity doesn't require that we all agree on on everything. We don't have to have the same opinion on things. No, we're not. We're not gonna. He says, but and this is his quote again: "Civic unity does require truth," which goes back to our quote at the top. Exactly. Look at what you did. Did you there see what I you go. did? I, I saw I what you did. I was. I had that teed up. I was ready to go. It was Come a on. long. Ball. All right, let's move on. Let's yeah. move on now quickly quickly to the Pelosi uh, 1-6 commission that's going to uh, be coming, which needs to happen for sure, needs to happen. Um, and also, will the president be be put in jail, the former president, not the, the president, but the former president put in jail? Um, you have former senators as chairs. Uh, Bill well, this Fred- is what I was, I was thinking of. So, so Nancy Pelosi uh, proposes setting up a January 6th commission, like the 9-11 commission, a bipartisan commission, to study what happened in the Capitol. And this is what I was thinking immediately after I got over the idea that they weren't calling witnesses on Saturday morning, was realizing, oh, no, they should create this type of bipartisan commission with subpoena power and call witnesses through that. 
because you should be able to get bipartisan support for this commission because basically it's saying, how do we make the, the capital more secure, which also means how do we make public trust stronger, which also means we have to look at all the things that led to up to the insurrection itself. Not just protecting the capital and what we need to do from security measures, but all the things that we missed along the way. And mm-hmm. that allows for you to call witnesses that are not just about whether Donald Trump incited an insurrection, but all the other folks along the way, including current members of Congress. Josh Hawley, who Ted, aided, Ted, aided Ted in, Cancun and, Cruz, Robert and, and uh, that woman from Georgia. Um, and. You know, you bring all that, all the Q folks, everything on board, and you basically lay it bare. Yeah. And I think that is where where we might be able to get the unity and and potential leadership, because you're basically saying to anybody on the Republican Party who has been hiding in the wings. Remember, we we, we talked about this before with that vote on uh, Green uh, and the vote on Lynn Cheney. The Lynn Cheney vote was done by secret ballot which means she got more support for being anti-Trump. But when it went to an open ballot on Green and, and her QAnon views, then suddenly all those, uh, a whole bunch of Republicans lost their spines, right? This is going to put, put them on, on notice that this is your, la- your spinelessness. This is what it's led to. Yep. And so I, I, had a, I had a couple of suggestions for who might be chairs too. I was thinking tell about us, this, tell us, right? Tell us. So tell I'm thinking, okay, you, you know, it's about the capital. It's about protecting the capital. It's also about norms of behavior, right? So maybe some former senators should serve as chairs. Okay. And of course, you're going to need one Republican and one Democrat. And the first d- dynamic duo that came to mind was uh, Bill Frist and Tom Daschle, who very were- tall, both very tall, very similar, like tall Jimmy Stewart type men. Right. And both were served as leaders of their caucuses. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, in the Senate. Uh, and they worked together uh, when they did that. And I'm looking for folks that were, have not been in office for quite some time. So they weren't in, you know, anybody who, who was still in office while Trump was there, I, I discounted. I also looking on the Republican side at Olympia Snow from Maine, Maine, you know, somebody who I think a lot of folks respect. Another person that I thought of was Paul Tribble, who was a former Republican senator from uh, Virginia and has been president of Christopher Newport university for the past, uh, 15 years or so, 10 or 15 years. Uh, somebody who has, you know, kind of that kind of gravitas as well on the democratic side. Some other names that I thought of were, uh, Russ Feingold. Sure. I like Feingold a lot. Why, why mostly Braun? Well, here's the thing is at the end of the day, you know, part of what happened in um, at the Capitol was a result of the growth of, of white nationalism, white nationalism, and white supremacy, right? yeah. and okay. we, we need some sort of representation on there. And, and while she might not be the best person in terms of you know her um, activity, she her she remains I mean, active in Illinois just politics. One, she she just did one. Uh, my 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 oh, question one about this one term. I mean, she's right. just a one exactly. term senator, so. Right. But 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 it also goes to show about you know our representativeness in um, in Congress mm-hmm. is that when you're looking at retired senators is that you you don't have a lot of diversity to choose from. I mean you know it's oh. what eighty some percent white male um, to start with. I mean uh, mostly Braun. I, look, sounds good to me. I just it, it it was just you know you look at Dashiell, you look at Feingold, Frist, Snow. I didn't even I thought you misspelled Larry Tribe. When you put triple in there, so it shows you what I know. Let's move on real quick, though, to our prognosis on where we think things stand and why and where the patient is at. I'm going to go first. I'm going to say this. There was a moment last night I was watching uh, CBS Evening News because I like Nora O'Donnell, man. She's cool. She just she she, she did a little Brian Williams wah, wah, last night, which, you know, when the, when Brian Williams does his little cutesy stuff, I do enjoy Brian Williams, too. But Nicole and I was going wah, wah, every time Brian Williams does that. And she did that last night. But um, she said and uh, news from the White House. And it was a picture of the White House. And I had such a different vision. And I looked at my better half and I said, you know, when they say from the White House now, it's a different feeling than it's been for these past four years. I feel like the patient is sitting up. I feel like the patient is is recovering. I feel like. There's still immense challenges, but even with the impeachment, I think 5743 is a heck of a lot better 
than 49 49 or whatever it was on, on the on the last one or 51 49 or 53 47 no it was closer than that 51 49 i think it was was on the last impeachment maybe justin can look that up and tell us when he comes in later but yeah. i i think it was a, a better week for the country than it could have been um and i'm i'm grateful for all of the senators who on the republican side who came forward and 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 took that tough vote Yes, um, I, I, I agree with you there. I think we're in better position. I think the establishment of, uh, uh, hopefully the establishment, it hasn't been established yet, of this commission will help us, you know, get to the root of this. This is exactly what, you know, Mitt Romney was saying, is that unless we agree on what the truth is, we're not going to have civic unity. And I think this commission can help get us along the way. I don't think Joe Biden can do this on his own. Joe Biden can lead the country out of this pandemic and show what real leadership is, yeah. but he can't on his own uh, bring us back to this sense of okay, we agree on what facts and truth are. Um, so, but you know, fingers crossed that the commission goes forward, and I think yeah, we are doing better than we have been. All right, we got a lot left of the show. We got to start moving it. We're going to move next now to our polling. Patrick, you have some new polling that came out. Uh, the ABC Ipsos poll uh, talking yep. about the support for from conviction. Uh, of from uh, from before and after the trial. Explain it to us. Yeah, so this is the only poll that's come out since uh, the vote was taken on Saturday. Uh, so basically, conviction support for the Senate convicting uh, Donald Trump went from 56% uh, for to 43% against right before the trial was held, and then it went to 58% to 41%. So it only moved by two points, which is all margin of error stuff. But a reminder... Again, you were mentioning about the vote in the Senate itself, that this is still significantly higher than it was um, after the first impeachment. We had a poll out at Monmouth right after the first uh, Senate trial uh, a year ago, and it was 49 percent who supported uh, the Senate impeaching or uh, Senate convicting and versus 47 percent who said that they should have uh, let him go. Um, so it's up by uh, nine points. Uh, from the first to the second in terms but that's of what my, Patrick, let me just say something. 58-41. That's my point about 2024. It's possible that in that 41%, Trump is going to have the support to get the nomination in 2024. But if 58% of the country believes that he should have been impeached and and removed from removed from after office and not able to run again, are people going to forget? Or is, is 8% of the country going to forget that? When when time comes around and it's, yeah. I don't Biden know because a lot of it Trump a or lot of, a lot of, a lot of ha it depends on what the the state of the current administration is. That's why I I mm -hmm. I tend not to look ahead to 2024. I look more to 2022 because one thing that we know is that 58 percent who think Trump did something wrong, they, these anti-Trump voters, will come out in 2022 and vote in the midterm. If they believe that Trumpism is still lurking yes. in the background, right? Absolutely. Best. However, best among that forty-one percent, there's a a significant percentage, the people <laughs> that we missed in the twenty twenty poll, the pro-Trumpers, who only come out if Donald Trump himself is on the ballot. And you can't, you cannot imagine that Donald Trump is going to get out there supporting that he's going to barnstorm the nation. Uh, I mean, maybe he'll do it because he wants the attention, right. but, no, but not in a way that, that will get anybody out because people, this is, you know, it's a personality cult. So 4% of the electorate in November of 2020 were there for the cult, purely for the cult of the Donald Trump, um, uh, personality. And that, that's why we saw in the, for example, the Georgia runoff, those people didn't come out in the January runoff because Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot and the Democrats were able to win. Oh, by so the way, uh, he's what, what's his name? Oh, I'm losing it. Is it Buchanan? No, the the governor, the the senator from Georgia is talking about running again. Who lost? He lost to oh, Purdue. Yeah, Purdue. Purdue was yeah, talking about a, a rematch. coming back against Warnock in 2022. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see how that all plays out um, as as we get yeah. closer. All right. Um, so is, is yeah. So that so that's about it. Uh, you know, Quinnipiac had a poll out during the trial that basically showed that uh, Republicans believe that Donald Trump believed that this election was stolen from him, uh, rather than spreading lies purposely. Um, so you know, so and Democrats believe the opposite. So you know, again, we're just seeing more evidence of, of partisan tribalism there. And then you have one from January 27th, a Monmouth University poll, the best of the pollsters, if you ask me. Um, and tell us about that one. 
Again, so this goes to that whole thing about the January 6th commission. We asked about a bunch of different issues that the federal government should should address. What's important to, to Americans? And there was about a dozen of them. Two I'm going to point out. One was domestic terrorism and hate groups. 83% said this was very important for the federal government to address. And if we look to the left, and this gets to the both siderisms that uh, Ben Sass is putting out there, when we ask about left-wing radicals and socialists, only 48% say that that's something that needs to be addressed. So when we look at the public, it's a, it's clear that they lo- they're looking at white nationalism, extremism as a real significant problem right now. Yep. All right, let's move Again. on to our hot take segment where usually we're going to take 90 seconds. But on this first one, and Justin, we didn't even tell you this, this first one we'd like to do for three minutes because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, We're going to take 90 seconds or three minutes to discuss some other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. Uh, Patrick, your first up let's So let's take this long segment uh, talking about the actual House managers, the ones that, um, you know, led the charge for the Democrats in the impeachment trial. So what are your thoughts? Anybody in particular stand out for you? Jamie Raskin, Jamie Raskin, Jamie Raskin to, for, you know, the, the, the greatest tragedy that a human being can, can have came to his world and, and he came out and said, I'm not going to lose my son and the Republic in the same year, a heartbreak, heartbreak in every, in every direction. He, you know, I, I lauded Adam Schiff often during the first impeachment. I, he, he, he pales in comparison. Yeah. As a speaker, as a communicator, as as a lawyer to Jamie Raskin. I mean, Raskin was a master. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think Adam Schiff is double A uh, compared to Raskin's major Ooh, league performance. Yeah. I mean, so I, Raskin, I, can, I can I can stick a baseball. No, no. Let's, <laughs> not, I'm not gonna call, I, let's not call Schiff double A. Let's call if we're going to use the baseball analogy. I still think uh, Schiff did a fine job. I still, I is very I'm, memorable. His closing. I will still speech. call Schiff double A. You can right, call him whatever. All right, right, that's right. You were really mad about the whole. Yeah, there was a lot of things that you yeah. thought were problematic. But I'm I, I actually was impressed. Uh, you know, a couple of, of, of new faces that we were introduced to: Stacy Plaskett uh, yes. from the Virgin Islands. Uh, there's an argument for statehood right can't there. Talk. Yeah, uh, Joe Nagusa from uh, Colorado, uh, son of immigrants. Yes, yeah. from um, Eastern you know, Africa. Right. So, you know, I think we were looking at some rising stars there. I think the team as a whole uh, with Jamie Raskin in the lead was just a better uh, team, better team overall. Yeah, absolutely. And Raskin, you know, he 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 just held held court. I mean, that's the definition of holding court on shift. Let's just call him like a for me. He's not double A. He's in the major leagues. He was a starting outfielder. And Raskin, to me, was an all-star. I mean, he was a game-changing all-star. And when he spoke, that it shows the power of communication and how important it is. He, he knew every word. They were better prepared. They were just better prepared. They also had a better case. I mean, it was, it was sort of the, the, the Ukraine impeachment had a little bit of, like, you, got, you had to put right. one plus one divided by six, which then you add the nine, and then it comes around to C. But here yeah. it was just it, like, it, it was close to, you know, it depends on what your definition is, is, right? Yeah. This one was basically right. all the yeah. jurors in this trial were also witnesses to the crime. So <laughs> it mean, really is something that those 43 decided that they that they didn't have to vote to save the Republic at that time. And it, it, it and Raskin, I, I thought he handled himself beautifully the following day when he went on the Sunday shows and sort of said, Hey, we did what we came out there to do. Did we think we were going to get 67? No. Did we do our job? Yes. And I absolutely agree with that. Stacy Plaskett also fantastic. Uh, they, 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 they get a very high grade for me, uh, a minus for me. And that's a really high grade. I mean, what, what would you grade them as? Yeah, I would give them, yeah, about the same. A, a, a minus there. I think uh, it was uh, yeah, the best team that you could get for what you were trying to accomplish. Now yeah, let's right. talk about the defense team. And I just want to talk about Mike Vanderveer, Veen, um, <laughs> the defense team. What do you think of these guys? Oh, man. Uh, they had, you know, the Three Stooges have nothing on these guys. Uh, uh, I mean, what can you say? I'll it tell you what just, I'll say. It was the ridiculous. was when he said, if we're going to have depositions, it's going to happen in my office in Philadelphia. At which point, the entire Democratic side starts laughing at him, right? 
Republicans laugh too, according to reports. Republicans laugh too. And he looks at them and he says, I didn't laugh at you. Why are you laughing at me? Do you know who this guy Vanderveen is? He's an ambulance chaser. He's literally an ambulance chaser. Literally, literally he will go out and and, and look for, well, uh, yeah, look for uh, people who are injured and try to get them to uh, sue. The, whoever the gall, I wanted to use a different word, but I'm going to say this. The gall on this guy to come out after that and say, look, you know, I was just doing my job out there. But what we need to do as a nation is come together. No, you don't get to say that. You don't yeah. get to say that, sir. You get to be the ambulance chaser punk that you are. That's fine. You get to fly private all the way to, to the Bahamas and do whatever you want and stay in the Four Seasons and live that life. But you do not have any moral authority in this country ever. Do not speak of it, sir. We do not wish to hear yeah, from this, you. This is what the, and this has been the whole problem with Trumpism is that you've raised people who have no business being exemplars in any, any field as kind of the leaders of a of a political you know, like they they can step in and, and talk about politics and uh, that's true i got a little um, hot yeah, there got a little uh, hot there. sorry about that got a little hot anyway okay let's move on um so uh joe biden had his uh first uh presidential town hall this Speaking past week oh man what did you think i loved it i i you know what's hysterical about this guy so you remember what I was talking about earlier in the show about Brian Williams and Nora O'Donnell. It really wasn't that long ago, so I can't imagine you forgot. Um, we're going, wah, wah, right? Well, Joe Biden is the definition of wah, wah. Like at the end of every phrase, he'll say, God bless it. And my mother would be saying, and oh, God bless you, because my mom would say, you know, I mean, he'll always yeah. throw these little folksy jokes in there. But now he's the most powerful human on the planet. And when he has his moments of humility, which he leads with. It is so beautiful. It'd be curious to see in two years whether he still is doing that, where he says to the person in the audience, is it okay? Uh, I'm going to go a little off topic, but I will come back to your question, miss, if that's all right with you. For the most powerful, I mean, the, the difference between the former president and the current president. Also, he said, I don't want to talk about the former president anymore. I don't want to talk about that guy. I've moved. Uh, the news should be about the American people. Yes. Not about the he, president. He was... It was it was gorgeous to see now when he does his little when he does his stutter or where he has moments of like, I'm not sure quite what I'm going to say. You just rooting for him. And it's not the same fear that right. it was during the campaign where it's like, oh, no, you're going to come across. It doesn't matter anymore. Now right. it's just he's just flat decent. He and his right. wife. So when he when he misspeaks, he can, you know, and he misspoke a lot uh, during that town hall. Uh you know, he can dial it back and you say, oh, no, that wasn't a president trying to pull one over on us. He just happened to stumble on something and realized that he said it the wrong way. So, I, I yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, there's just a different feeling that you get uh, yeah. from that. And, and certainly the empathy is what really drives it. He's beautiful. Love him. Love that he's president personally. OK, I get to ask you about Cancun Cruise. What do you think? Oh, man, Ted Cruz. And th I mean, this is this was just ridiculous. And, and uh, if you. Hopefully, if you followed this story, just for the fun of following the story, everybody's listening um, and finding out, you know, every every time he's trying to tries to explain it and he threw his kids under the bus and said it was a planned trip for, for them. He wanted to be um, a good dad. So he right. put him and on it the turns plane. out that his wife has this uh, neighborhood uh, text chain that she sends out and there's people on it who I guess didn't ask to be on it. So they're the ones who were sharing it with the media. I've heard, <laughs> you know, I mean. You know, everything about Ted Cruz is just so slimy. And if you remember what Lindsey Graham said is if you shot, uh, if somebody shot Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate and the trial was in the Senate, no one would vote to convict the guy who shot him. Um, so nobody likes Ted Cruz. Slimy is a good. But he's a slime. But everything he does is just so slimy. And, and my favorite meme coming out of this is Ted Cruz with his suitcase on the beach with Chris Christie. Whoa. If you've seen this see picture, this picture again. This, this picture, but yeah, did. yeah, I brought that. Did. It comes back. People, see, I just keep. It's, it's like, like a circle, a circle of life, right? It's like a, it's it's a, a, I tie all three stories together at the end. Come on, how great was that? Um, yeah, I mean, Ted Cruz really. I think he hurt himself in the short term. I think he'll be fine in the long term. I don't think that this is going to be the defining moment of his career any more than you know when we were talking about Chris Christie, we didn't talk about him on the beach. That wasn't. That's not part of his equation. Um, I, I I think Ted Cruz has bigger. Problems. I think Ted Cruz has, Cruz has bigger problems. Yep. All right. So coming up next week, 
is the State of the Union address, Joe Biden's first State of the Union address. What would you like to see him do in that address? I would like to see him take a moment and look out and realize that he's achieved his goal. I'd like him to take a moment and look up to his son with gratitude and with love. And I'd like to see him stand tall and, and look at the country and say, it is, it is our choice which direction we go now. And we have to take care of our people. I think he, I think he will. I think he's going to push for his $1.9 trillion and I think he's going to get it. Uh, or almost all of it. And I, uh, I hope, I hope that he reaches out a hand to, uh, to the people when he's out looking to his left. I hope he reaches out a hand to the Republicans in some, in some way, because the Democrats will be there with him the entire night. And I'd love to see a, a, a coming together of our nation, at least on that night. Mm-hmm. You? I'd like to see him set out a kind of this uh, moral, uh, guidepost for the nation. And what she's kind of been doing all along, but using that to simply say what happened in our country over the past few months and in Washington in particular is a byproduct of a disease that we suffer from, which is uh, extremism, nationalism, and inequity, and that we are never going to, uh, you know, get out of that disease or, or heal from that disease unless we take tackle those problems head on. And acknowledge that when we're looking at all these policies that we're doing is that we have to look at that, that impact of this underlying cultural problem that we face. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a great thing to hope for. And I'm curious to see, uh, I know we'll all be watching, uh, you and I will be watching Justin, you'll be watching too. Um, next we're going to talk about Dolly Parton. Now, if we have time, I'll tell you about the one time I auditioned for Dolly Parton and what she was like in the room, but you wanted to talk about Dolly Parton. I, I'm interested. What you got? All right. Yeah. I wanted to talk about it because it just came up recently that the, the Tennessee legislature, uh, has a bill that the, to, to build a statue of her in the Tennessee Capitol. And she came out and said in her inimical Dolly way, you know, that is, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. That's not the right thing to do, and I'm, I'm flattered by this, but don't do it. And if you decide to do it years after I die, then I'm sure I'll, I'll be happy with that. But right now, we need to focus on other things. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is that she's become such a presence. And if if you follow Dolly Parton at all, you know, and, and this has been talked about over the past few years, like you go to a Dolly Parton concert, you're going to find as many, like, Liberals, LGBT, all these things as conservatives, churchgoers, gun carriers in the same audience. And she just, there's something about her that she has become such a phenomenon that I think she's an exemplar for how many of us should be living our lives. And I thought it was worth mentioning her. Okay. Well, that's beautiful. I, 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 I think I have 20 seconds. So I auditioned for the musical of nine to five when I came out to play, I think it was the boss. No, I don't think it was the boss. I think it was like a smaller part. And I went in and I had to sing a song and, and there was Dolly Parton just sitting there at the table with Bernie Telsey as the, you know, it was a big room and Dolly Parton just, I walked in and she said, Hey, you welcome. I hope, I hope you're having a good old day and I can't wait to see what you do. And just stood there as I kind of, <laughs> I did. I did what I did, and he. She just smiled, the biggest smile in the world, and it made you. It made you feel all good and gooey inside. So that's yeah. Dolly Parton. I think there's something appropriate about going from Dolly to Justin. There's something. There's something there because Justin. Justin Mason makes you feel good, or at least makes me feel good. Justin, come on in and uh, <laughs> tell us. Do you have any thoughts about what happened last week with the impeachment? Um, I, I am I the Dolly Parton of the podcast. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. there you go. I yeah, mean, I'll, I'll take that. Like you said, she's a she's a pretty amazing woman. So, uh, I mean, I I think you guys really tied a bow on on the impeachment pretty well. I one thing that stuck out to me was your guys's discussion of Ben Sass and his tribalism comments, and I don't disagree with what you guys said. What I have noticed over the course of the last few weeks and really the last few years um, is that this country is very much uh, segmented into these political tribes. And the reason I've been exposed to this is because, as many of you know, Ian and I are fantasy baseball analysts. 
Uh, and I set up a Facebook account for my fantasy stuff that I accept friend requests from everyone who asks. And so I through when I go through that feed and that timeline, I see the political thoughts of the entire country. And it is very scary at times. Um, and it uh, has been very scary for the last few years. But the one thing I really notice is the amount of, um, I think the term we use in the fantasy baseball community is victory laps. And uh, it shows the how divided this nation is. And I do hope that uh, President Biden's um, State of the Union address maybe another way to start bridging that gap back together and maybe hopefully some of these people who are segmented into these tribes will start to realize that that isn't necessarily the best thing to do for the country. Okay, thank you. Um, I want to add another thing before you leave. So I don't know if you're willing to acknowledge this, but um, the FSWA Awards were given out, uh, I guess, about a little over mm-hmm. a week ago. Fantasy um, Sports Writer Association. That is correct. And as as many people know, I uh, my show, Under the Radar, on the, on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Network, was nominated. Justin Show, the sleeper on the bust, former winner of this award, was nominated. Neither one of us came through with a victory <laughs> on that day. The victory went to good friends mm-hmm. and my partner, Derek Van Riper and his partner, Eno Saris and Britt. There's a woman, I'm sorry, who does an occasional, uh, d- does, does do the show. So they, they gave her, uh, b- a part of the victory. But I just, I- I'm very willing right now to say that I am willing to accept the fact that Rates and Barrels is the winner of the 2021 Fantasy Sports Writers Award for Best Baseball Podcast. And I just need to ask you, Justin, do you acknowledge the victory? Well, clearly, these were illegal votes. No, they that, were not. Justin. That that they won this. Votes. No, the, they, they, I won by billions, billions. No, you, did, you didn't. Had you won by billions, you'd have gotten the. They'd have asked you to go on at Sirius XM to to talk about winning the award. You did not win, Justin. Will I, you admit that, please? I, I will do no such thing. The truth will come out, and on the inauguration day of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Awards, you will see me <laughs> delivering my acceptance speech. Very good. Now we're going to move on to our Guardians of the Week. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Um, the, now, uh, our Patrick, you put down uh, a, a nomination this week, and I heartily agree. You want to tell us who you picked and why? All right. I am going to read you a list of seven names for Guardians of the Week. Mitt Romney of Utah. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Ben Sass of Nebraska, Susan Collins of Maine, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, and Richard Burr of North Carolina. These were the seven Republican senators who were willing to buck the Trumpism that controls their party and stand up and say what happened on January 6th was wrong and President Trump was responsible for it. Who surprised you the most? I think everybody was surprised by Burr from North Carolina simply because he hadn't said anything along the way. Patumi had said some things along the way did, yeah. um, that, that surprised in terms of that overall vote. What surprised me in terms of who spoke out was Bill Cassidy. Me too. The, Cassidy right. was, the, was the big surprise for me. So, and, so and, Burr, so, Burr, Burr was interesting because he voted against – remember there was a vote initially, is this process constitutional? Right. And Burr voted no. But then he voted to convict because and, – and I thought Burr's statement was exactly what we need right now. And an understanding, he said, I personally thought that it wasn't constitutional to hold the trial of a former president. But the Senate is led by precedent. And once the Senate voted to say that it is constitutional, then it was my responsibility to abide by that precedent. And then once I had to abide by that president, I had acknowledged the facts of the case. Yep. That's what Burr said. I, Cassidy, I, voted, Cassidy voted in favor of the constitutionalism because he basically said he agreed with the, the argument that, that you, the, January, the January exception, which means you, you can't do something impeachable at the end of your term because you know you'll get away with it. Yeah. 
I, and Cassidy, Cassidy was my big surprise. Uh, he he was just he he'll be up again. He he just won re-election in 2020. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Um, so, so he he uh, Romney, Sass, and Collins just won re-election. Toomey and Burr. Not Romney. Not Romney. Oh yeah, Romney is two years uh, four years ago. Uh, Toomey and Burr uh, are retiring next year, so their seats are up for grabs in 2022. Lisa Murkowski is up for election re-election in 2022. Uh, yes, that's, that's the one Romney actually was elected in 2018, not 16. So he'll be back up in 2024. It was Murkowski, but Murkowski has already gone down this road before and she's making noise about, you know, if, if the Republicans are going to be this kind of party, I don't want to be a part of that party. Uh, Susan Collins, who we have been hard on, on this show came through Ben Sass, who we've been hard on her lesson. It looks like, yeah. yeah, it looks like she learned her lesson. Hey, look at that. Cassidy was a big surprise to me was a, was a tip of the hat to you, sir. And maybe that's why he wanted to resign, retire because he wanted to be able to give a vote like that. And for Burr, I, I think that Burr as the head of the intelligence, um, the, the, the intelligence in sent in the Senate, I think he, 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 he's on the way out the door with his problems that he's had with insider trading issues. Um, I think it's a, a very good vote for him. I think the other 43 Republican senators in their obituaries, um, it will be noted in the first paragraph that they voted against impeachment uh, after the January 6th. And that's going to be part of their legacy. But the other seven, they get our Guardian of the Week. All right. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians OTR. And this is actually going to be our last show for a little while. We're going to go back on one of our sabbaticals. We will be coming back and you will know we're coming back because we're going to show up in your feed. So you should not unsubscribe from us. You should keep subscribed because something's going to happen and we're going to go, yo, it's time to come back just like we did last time. It will happen again. So please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes in your favorite podcast app. Give us a rating. Tell your friends and family because they can listen to this one, the ones before. And if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check us out at our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us. And we will be back with a new episode at some point in the coming months. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you. Good talk. Justin, thank you.